This is the nucleus of the galaxy M87, and this is the first ever image of a black hole. That's how the first ever image of a black hole's shadow was unveiled by German radio astronomer Heino Falke, speaking at a European Commission news conference in Brussels in 2019. The breakthrough image was produced by a world-spanning array of radio telescopes known as the Event Horizon Telescope. Falke's years-long quest to see a black hole is the subject of a new book titled Light in the Darkness, Black Holes, the Universe, and Us. Greetings, Earthlings. I'm Alan Boyle, your host for the Fiction Science Podcast, coming to you from the place where science and technology intersect with fiction and popular culture. In this installment of Fiction Science, Heino, Folke, and I will explore black hole physics and what the first image of a black hole tells us about ourselves. Black holes have been a standard plot device for science fiction books and movies going back to the 1970s. Probably the best-known movie with a black hole written into the script is Interstellar, which benefited from Nobel-winning physicist Kip Thorne's advice. But until 2019, we had to rely on artists to show us what a black hole could look like. More than two decades ago, Heino Falke and other researchers proposed using radio astronomy to capture an image of the supermassive black hole at the center of our own Milky Way galaxy. Eventually, astronomers around the world joined forces to turn a network of eight radio telescopes into one huge observatory called the Event Horizon Telescope, targeting our galaxy's black hole as well as the much bigger black hole in a galaxy called M87. A new Netflix documentary titled Black Holes, The Edge of All We Know provides an inside look at the successful effort to see M87's black hole. And as you might expect, the show gives Heino Folke a prominent role. You can get the whole story, plus a teaser for coming attractions, in Folke's book, Light in the Darkness, and in our Fiction Science podcast. When I made my transatlantic connection with Falke, who's an astronomy professor at Radboud University in the Netherlands, the first thing I asked him about was his definition of a black hole. Of course, a black hole is not a hole. It's an enormous amount of matter compressed into a <laughs> tiny region of space, which curves space and time and lets actually light go on circles around the black hole. And light that goes too close will actually disappear in the black hole forever in the event horizon. We'll never get out and visit all information and all matter that will go along will actually disappear and never come out. So black holes are one-way streets into the universe, into you know a nothingness that is just space. And is that what we're seeing in the picture? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, what are we seeing there? Because our vision of the black hole is distorted by the, the curvature of space. So light goes around in circles and, and, and goes like crazy. But essentially what we're seeing is really light going around the black hole, being deflected by just gravity. And then in the center, we see this patch of darkness, what we call the shadow of the black hole. And that's where actually light is disappearing. It's disappearing in the event horizon. So we're literally looking into the abyss in that you know famous image. We see this ring of light surrounding the black hole. And in the very center where you think, you know, all the action is happening, there is just nothing. There is just darkness. 
The Event Horizons picture is based on data from radio interferometry rather than optical telescope observations. So how is this picture different from what we would see with our own eyes if we were able to get close enough to a black hole? Well, it doesn't have to be so fundamentally different because radio emission is just light. It's just light at a different frequency, like infrared or ultraviolet. It's just radio. It's just, you know, lower, lower frequency. And, you know, if you'd had eyes, you know, that could see the black hole with that resolution, you would see something like that, probably sharper, more pronounced, perhaps. But uh, it wouldn't be fundamentally different, we think. I was fascinated to read in the book how you selected the glowing red color for the (laughs) ring of hot material around the black hole. The actual data is basically built up in shades of black and white. So was the color palette chosen purely for aesthetic reasons, or does it have some grounding in the actual phenomenon? Sort of. We're looking at a color you don't know, right? So this is radio colors. How do you color that if you translate that into optical? And, uh, you know, when we predicted that image, it was a you know, paper that we wrote uh, 20 years ago, uh, we, we, we tried to give it a color. And, and in, in the end, it was an artistic choice to, to go for red, you know, glowing red to, to, to express this is really, you know, a fiery ring that's a, a, a hot plasma that's surrounding black hole. And uh, it, it sort of physically fits because radio is on the red side of the spectrum, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you could have made it green or pink or whatever or rainbow. It just it would just not have worked so well, I think. You know, I always say, you know, black hole is in a happy place, so rainbow colors wouldn't, you know, <laughs> wouldn't cut it, I think. <laughs> I think your book does a great job of describing the challenges of creating a huge science project like the Event Horizon Telescope and actually doing the observations. Looking back, what would you say the biggest challenge was? And I'd have to think that dealing with an armed gang of potential kidnappers in Mexico would rank pretty high on that list. That's what happened to one of my students uh, going up to the telescope. And, you know, he was held at gunpoint going up, six people with machine guns. We still don't know whether it was a secret police or there's some, you know, gang indeed. Uh, There was a little battle going on at the time, but that was a pretty scary uh, experience. We go to the remote places up on mountains in, uh, you know, areas where, you know, there are typically not so many people. Though I was in Spain, actually, in Granada. And uh, that was in the middle of a ski resort. So I wasn't (laughs) as lonely um, there. But it's a combination of challenges. It's, It's a, I, you know, you had to record, you know, five petabyte of data on hard drives, uh, all across the, the planet, you know, one telescope was at the South Pole. You had to wait for half a year to actually get it back because there were no flights going to the South Pole. Right? There is no, there's no mm-hmm. regular uh, connection to the South Pole. Um, uh, you had to have the, the perfect weather all around the world. And of course, we also had an army of scientists working together that are from different countries, continents, uh, backgrounds, and, and different telescopes, organizations, and you know, with, with 
you know, with different histories, and that makes it sometimes difficult. Uh, you have to find your way and under under pressure. But it's a technical and a sociological challenge sometimes. <laughs> and because of all those challenges, uh, including the sociological issues as well as the technical issues and the past year's pandemic, it sounds as if the first full-scale observing campaign in 2017 was the most productive one so far. Were you able to even conduct a campaign this year? And is there a reason why April is the preferred time for doing black hole observations? Yeah, we, we tried 2015, 2016, but didn't have enough telescopes and some, some equipment didn't work. In 2017, we had everything together, all the telescopes, all the equipment was in place and everything worked. The weather was fantastic. You know, as my, my colleague said, you know, some of these, you know, the newbies here, the young students, they don't know that, you know, that is pretty exceptional having such an you know, excellent observing campaign. And in 2018, yeah, we had, uh, you know, we had some telescopes uh, stop. We had some bad weather. I, you know, I was in, in Spain again. I couldn't see the top of the telescope because it was in the middle of the clouds. We had this armed incident. Um, so that was pretty bad. And then we had uh, more telescopes breaking down 2019 and 2020. We had uh, Corona and 2021. Yes, we tried again it, and it probably worked. We don't know yet because we haven't looked at the data. Uh, it takes, as I said, sometimes uh, half a year to just get to get, get data together from all around the world. Well, that's good to hear that uh, you actually had a campaign and that you're back in business. Do you expect that it's going to be an annual uh, session? And and why is it that April is is the time? Right. I, I didn't didn't answer that one. That's true. Um, well, I mean, weather reasons. Uh, we are on. Two hemispheres, you know, in, in one hemisphere, it's spring, the other one, it's fall. Uh, the best weather typically is when it's cold and dry. So you need to find some kind of a compromise where the weather seems to be good enough in all places. If, if, if you go into May, uh, June, July, typically on the northern hemisphere, you have, you know, wet, hot days. And you can't observe because we're looking at very high frequency radio emission, which is absorbed by 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 clouds and 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 by water vapor in the atmosphere. So yeah, it's not the best. You know, it's for none of the telescopes. It's the best time of the year, but it's the least worst for all of them. Gotcha. In addition to the black hole in the galaxy M87, the Event Horizon Telescope has been targeting the supermassive black hole in the center of our own Milky Way galaxy. It's known as Sagittarius A star. And I have to admit that I was one of those journalists who prepared a story focusing on Sagittarius A star and had to rewrite most of it when it turned out that the image focused on M87 instead. Why is it harder to get a clear image of our own galaxy's black hole, which is so much closer? I, I really have to apologize. I, I, I remember standing on this in the press conferencing and announcing that, that black hole. And I was thinking shortly before, a number of journalists will have to rewrite the story now. <laughs> well, I forgive you. <laughs> I felt sorry, but it was nothing we could do about it. Uh, it was a secret and we were not allowed to, to talk about it. And... Uh, the problem was, you know, it all started with the black hole in the center of our Milky Way, Sagittarius A star. That's what we wanted to see. That was the best bet because we knew exactly how massive it was. But we also knew this is going to be hard. I was always very pessimistic that the first observing run would, would give us a good image. And then the other one, M87, was a bit of a you know lucky shot because we didn't know exactly what the mass of the black hole was. You know, there were some 
different groups. One said it's, you know, it's 6 billion, but the other one said it's 3 billion. In fact, when I did my PhD, it was only 2 billion solar masses. And for that low mass, a black hole would be smaller. In fact, so small that we could not have resolved the shadow. So, you know, we until we looked at the data, we didn't know how big that shadow would be. And, and then at some point I was, you know, looking at the data, my student showed it to me. And I was just shell-shocked, you know, to see, wow, there's a ring. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, even though uh, Sagittarius A star is closer, I, I think in the book you talk about how there's more movement. It's a smaller black hole, even though it's closer. And, and you've got all this stuff from the Milky Way that's between us so absolutely the radio mission is actually scattered it's blurred a little bit but most importantly indeed this black hole is a thousand times smaller so all the stuff goes goes around a thousand times faster to rotate once around so every 20 minutes all the, the matter goes around the black hole and so you know it wobbles it changes and that is a problem if you want to make a, a an image where you have to look at it for hours. So, you know, the data changes, the Earth rotates. So that makes it a very difficult problem. We're tacking it, we're working on it, and we'll be publishing the data on it. So it's not got it's not gonna be lost data, that I can promise. Well, you're kind of teasing what the coming attractions might be. Uh, in the book, you uh, provide a teaser for potential pictures of Sagittarius A-star, even maybe a movie showing the activity of the M87 black hole over time. Can you provide any more teasers? Are, are you looking at other targets or maybe even coordinated observations with optical telescopes or gravitational wave observatories? Well, we have other black holes that we look at and that we'll be, we'll be publishing, and some actually look quite interesting, and one will come out in a, in a couple of weeks. But there we will not be able to see the event horizon because they are too small or too far away. Um, but yes, I'm convinced with our data, eventually, you know, in our experiment, we'll be able to make movies. That's one of the next goals that we have. Uh, we may need a few more telescopes. Um, and in, in the end, we actually want to go into space. You know, that will give us razor sharp images of black holes. And then we'll be able to actually access many, many more black holes across the universe. And uh, you, you won't need to look at science fiction movies anymore. You can actually see real black holes really moving and changing as a function of time. You know, once we have a space uh, interferometry mission, it will take a little while. So I may be retired by then. But I think that'll be a fascinating, uh, a fascinating prospect that we have. Is the type of technology that you pioneered for the Event Horizon Telescope uh, possibly capable of imaging stellar scale black holes, or are you limited to the supermassive black holes that are at the centers of galaxies? Yeah, you'd need a much, much larger uh, telescope than. Just even a telescope that's, you know, going around the Earth, you know, the planetary scale telescope, and even 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 larger, I mean, solar system scale uh, telescope. You could go to X-ray you know, interferometry, you know, having a few X-ray telescopes and then combine them into a, a sharp thing. That might allow you to give, you know, images of... Uh, of stellar mass black holes, and that'd be very exciting. But that technology is still a couple of decades away, I'm afraid. I wanted to turn to the science fiction side of black holes. Uh, for example, you mentioned that 
the M87 black hole is different from the fictional black hole that we see in the movie Interstellar. Are there any depictions of black holes in science fiction books or movies that are particularly good or particularly awful? Well, Interstellar was not completely wrong. It, I mean, it used you know the ray tracing, so it it showed the light bending of light going around uh, the black hole. That was that was okay. It was missing some purposely missing some some effects. You know, one side of the 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 disc that's rotating around should have been brighter to the beaming that you know wasn't wasn't shown. Also, you know what really made me cringe on the movies when when they were going towards the black hole and then they were hit by all these rocks and dust. Right. If if you go into this black hole, all this stuff moves with the speed of light. You know, it's, you can't see, you can't can't see the rocks coming towards you, right? You know, <laughs> and they would have such an enormous energy. Just a little rock would just completely obliterate you, um, and it, it wouldn't stay rocks. It would become extremely hot and and and, and gaseous. And in fact, the disk wouldn't be as thin as it's shown. It would actually puff up. It would be you know a cloud of hot gas which is glowing. Uh, in, in in light, and, uh, and give you that predominant ring that that we see. So I, you know, I, I think you know, Interstellar. If we would redo it, uh, we'd have a somewhat different picture. Now it would be fundamentally different. But what's always missing is these plasma jets that are shooting out, right? So I mean, not right. everything falls into a black hole. The magnetic fields are wound up near the event horizon, and that leads to a plasma jet being shot out along the rotation axis and that stuff goes out with the speed of light again so if you ever you know fall into a black hole that's your hope right try to you know catch one of these magnetic field lines you know and fly with it out into interstellar space that's a a, a wonderful accelerator um, i was suggesting that to a, a theme park where they were trying to do a you know motion around a black hole and stuff and i would say you know don't use wormholes right that that's you know that's fantasy. Use black holes, but you know, right on a jet. <laughs> you know, that will shoot you wherever you want. That's some real news you can use. If I ever get stuck near a black hole, look for the jet. So I really Absolutely. appreciate that. In the final chapter of your book, you address the implications of black hole science for the human psyche and religious faith. We've often heard from physicists, including the late Stephen Hawking, who claimed that Modern cosmology leaves no room for God's mysterious workings, and yet physicists also tell us that 95% of the universe's content comes in the form of mysterious dark matter and dark energy. What lies inside a black hole's event horizon is a total mystery as well. To paraphrase Shakespeare, it's literally the undiscovered country from which no traveler returns. From the book, I know that you're a committed Christian. And in closing, I'd love to have you summarize your perspective on the great beyond that black holes call to mind. That's a very good question, because black holes, you know, represent the end of space and time as a Big Bang really presents the beginning of space and time. And they they present also a horizon, you know, the event horizon, which, you know, sets us a limit, a frontier. We can, you know, we know there's something, but we... You know, we know we could go inside even a black hole. We could experience all the crazy stuff that's going on inside a black hole, but we'd never be able to tell anybody. We'd never be able to come back and explain what we're seeing. And that's really an insult to physicists, right? So we know there's something, but it's beyond. You can't measure it. You know, it's it's like uh, like at Christmas, your parents you know, putting out all the presents, you know, uh, underneath the Christmas tree. And they say, look, there are all the presents, all this fantastic physics inside there, 
but you're not allowed to open it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that that makes it so you know so interesting as well because we want to know what's what's going on there, but we can't. And so that's a big struggle that we have as as physicists, you know, to think further. And I fundamentally believe that even if we would be able to transcend those boundaries, to know what's before the Big Bang and what's behind black holes, we'd still be left with exactly the same kind of questions. What before that and what is behind that, what's inside black holes, so to speak. And interestingly, if you look at the entire universe, we have so many things that we've discovered that we can explain, that we can, that we can calculate. But it also tells us you are not going to know everything. You'll not be able to predict everything. This universe, you know, will go in some direction that you'll never be able to know where it's, where it's heading at some point. And, and that makes it so fascinating. It leaves a lot of open question for us to explore. And there's some things, I think, in our lives, in our universe, that you'll be in, only able to address and, and give a place via faith. Or just not think about it at all, and and so I think that you know our lives, you know, we're not able to conduct purely with physics alone. We're not able to explain everything with physics alone. You know, the, the universe is so much richer that uh, there's still a place, if not a need, for hope, love, and faith. And that's really what makes us human: to search for answers, to look for the beyond, to understand what we can know what we cannot know. And so to say, as some physicists say, oh, you know, I'm able to explain everything. That's simply not true. And I think it will never be true. Mm-hmm. And you must have reflected on the parallels between the mystery of the black hole, uh, which is, as you say, the end of space and time, and the Big Bang, which is the beginning of space and time, and the parallels between those phenomena and the big questions that we ask about what happens when uh, the physical body gives out what is our ultimate destiny and and where did we come from and and uh, the whole purpose the as Douglas Adams said the uh, answer to the question of life the universe and everything there must be a lot that black holes can teach us about those ultimate questions yeah what they teach us is maybe uh, to be humble because we you know we we are really doing the most amazing thing that we can do. We, we do physics at the edge of the event horizon. We have discovered the Big Bang, and yet we haven't answered our questions, our you know, deepest questions. And I don't think those deep questions will ever be answered uh, with, with, with physics. And uh, on the other hand, you know, what, what makes us humans so special is the fact that we can ask these questions, that we can search but then also we can admire uh, what's going on in this universe. It's a fascinating universe out, out, out there. And we can think about this universe. And, um, you know, and what happens to us, what happens to all the information, to all the things that we've done? In, in a black hole, that would be just completely destroyed and, and lost, perhaps. It would be turned into smoke for almost eternity. If, if Hawking is right, some would come out again. But it would be, you know, in the end, just you know, a, a you know, a smoke of, of quantum information that, you know, we would just just quantum ashes, so to speak. That's that's left of us. And I'm a more hopeful person. 
I think that beyond that physical reality, that physical vision, which is always, you know, a vision of decay, if you think about the long-term future of the universe, uh, to me, there's always a hope, you know, and and, and the future. And uh, yeah, and as a Christian, that that hope is related to a a God that is there, where I come from and where I go back to. And sort of my my purpose as a scientist is, you know, is to ask questions, to explore that universe, but also to radiate that hope a little bit. Um, that there's more than just you know a physical reality. I think that that limits us. Well, this has been great. I really appreciate it, and and what a great note to end on—a note of hope. So I am really grateful for the time and look forward to the success of your book, Light in the Darkness, and the success of the Netflix documentary and the success of the Event Horizon Telescope Project. Uh, it sounds like there are great things to come. So thank You'll you. You'll hear more from us. <laughs> That's a deal. I'll look forward to it. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. It was a great conversation. For more about black holes, the Event Horizon Telescope, the Netflix documentary, and Heino Folke's book, check out my cosmic log posting at fictionscienceclub.com. We're featuring the black hole image, of course, and there's also a link to a video discussion presented by the Commonwealth Club of California. I'd like to thank Heino Folke for the interview and thank James Emley for his rendition of the cosmic log theme, composed by yours truly. Please subscribe to the Fiction Science Podcast and feel free to give us a stellar rating on your favorite podcast channel. And so, until next time, this is Alan Boyle advising you to watch the skies. <laughs>